If someone insults you, how do you answer? Does the way people treat us determine how we should treat them? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prynne, and welcome to Bible 805. In our podcast today, we'll look at Proverbs and get some advice on how we can respond, no matter how difficult people might be, in ways that please God and ultimately help us live a more peaceful and productive life. Now, here's where we are in reading through the Bible. We're in the book of Proverbs, and I'm doing two podcasts on it. The first one is why it is needed in a post-Christian, post-biblical world. We finished that, and now we're on the second lesson on Proverbs, which I've entitled Practical Advice for a Post-Christian, Post-Biblical World. Now, our process of learning and of living in light of this post-Christian, post-Biblical world, I think it's kind of interesting to look at what Malcolm Gladwell said in his book Outliers. He talked about how people need 10,000 hours of practice of something to become a master at it. That breaks down to 90 minutes over 20 years. Now there's a lot of debate on his conclusions on the amount and the time required But nobody says that you become good at something without time and effort and practice. So if we want to live a life that pleases God, we've got to work on it. How do we get it? We get it from the Bible. And in today's lesson, we're going to look specifically at some passages from Proverbs. What we'll do is we will look at a situation. I'll then mention how the world might respond. Then we'll see what Proverbs has to say, and then I'll also have some notes on practical applications. Now, Proverbs, of course, is the title of the book, and Proverbs is a collection of Proverbs. So what is a proverb? That's a good place that where we need to start. A proverb in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is mashal, and it is a pithy maxim, usually of metaphorical nature. In other words, a proverbial saying, an aphorism, a similitude, a parable. It's all also could be a poem and I like that I love that term that it's a poem because much of Proverbs is actually written in the Hebrew poetic format where there are allegories and there's parallelism and various things like that a little bit different than English poetry but Poetry is a great way to describe a lot of Proverbs. They are also um, described as sentences of ethical wisdom. Now, the thing that's important to realize is they're not promises or guarantees. And this is where a lot of people run into problems. Now, I'm going to expand this idea more in just a minute. But the following quote from the Enduring Word Bible, I think, helps. And it says, naturally, Proverbs generalize, as a proverb must, and may therefore be charged with making life too tidy to be true. But nobody objects to this in secular sayings, for the very form of a proverb demands a sweeping statement. For example, here's one, many hands make light work. Well, that sounds great. But then there's another proverb that says, too many cooks spoil the soup. Well, which one's true? Which one do we follow? Well, they're actually both true in different situations. So you see, in the same way, proverbs are not guarantees. They're not promises. They're not magic formulas that if you do certain things, exactly precise outcomes will result. I've used this example before, but it's worth repeating. And that is the one in Proverbs 22.6, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a proverb. It is not a guarantee. 
Obviously, you will have a much better chance that your child will turn out well if you train them in the things of the Lord, if you take them to church, if you make sure that they have good friends, if they develop good habits. Far better chance than if you didn't do anything at all. And it's like that with many Proverbs. You have a much greater chance that there will be good outcomes in life and that you will please God if you do these things. However, They are not guarantees that difficult things might not still happen. So let's look, though, at some specific situations. Look at how our world, our post-Christian, post-biblical world might tell us to respond. And then we will look at what Proverbs says, and I will make some more applications on that. Situation number one, someone corrects us. They question why we act a certain way, why we did something in a certain way. We feel that we're being rebuked or or whatever. Somebody doesn't like what we've done. Now, the current worldview says, take offense, defend yourself, yell, strike back at the person. But what does Proverbs say? And by the way, I'm not going to be reading the verse references for all of these because that gets a little distracting. They will be on the notes at www.bible805.com, but I'm not going to go over all these as we go through. But anyway, let me just go into the proverb. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. If you profit from constructive criticism, you will be elected to the wise man's hall of fame. But to reject criticism is to harm yourself and your own best interests. People who listen when they're corrected will live, but those who will not admit they are wrong are in danger. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wives. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Whoever rebukes a person will, in the end, gain more favor than one who has a flattering tongue. These verses in Proverbs tell us that someone's correction or rebuke is really a gift. Not a one of us sees ourself completely clearly, sees exactly what we need to do to improve ourselves, or perhaps how we're even, how, how many people in the world might even be reacting to us. We honestly don't know. Criticism helps us understand where we might be going astray and how we can change. One of the things that I remember when I was involved in the Navigator Ministry, it was a Christian ministry in college, they had these summer training programs that were sort of intensive training programs in the Bible and in helping you grow as a disciple. And one of the things that they would have us do is before we went to the summer training, we were told to read through the book of Proverbs several times. And the reason is, is because Proverbs teaches us to respond well to criticism. It would really be a waste for us to go to this training program and think we had it all figured out already. None of us do. None of us go through life with it all figured out. And so criticism helps us make progress in our spiritual lives. Now, when that happens, we shouldn't reject it. Now, somebody, people might be wrong, but you don't have to attack them, even if they are. That's not a proper response. We're going to get to some verses on anger in a few minutes, but always when you're criticized, take some time by yourself, 
Think about it, pray about it, and be thankful that someone cared enough. And pray, too, that you'll be open to God's Word, that you will learn from it, and that you will make some changes, perhaps, in your actions. So that's the first situation. Next, how should we approach our work or our calling or looking if, if you're young and you're looking to what you should do in life or if you're older and just just whatever. How do we how do we approach our work? Well, one of the things that's very popular in our worldview today is we're told, follow your passion, follow your dreams. And then, too, there's the whole idea that if you can imagine it, it will happen. If you really care enough, these things will all come true. Well, it just doesn't work like that. And Proverbs tells us, in contrast, those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies have no sense. Um, in another translation, it puts it this way. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Lazy men are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Well, what do these verses mean when we're told, follow your passion, follow your passion? Well, the whole idea of passion as a reason for doing something is really so self-absorbed and selfish. Now, it's really nice if you have a passion for what you do. But throughout history, and let's be realistic, in much of our world today, a passion for your work is kind of a bonus. That's a real blessing. It's not a reason to work or not. Some people, I just don't feel motivated. I just, you know, I don't feel like doing this job. Well, really, um, you know, not everybody has those options. In the New Testament talks, if you don't work, you don't eat. And in, in many instances, too, we don't have a choice whether or not to do something because we're passionate about it or we love it or, you know, this, you know, things might just, you know, things are going to all happen if we, if we do the right thing. Sadly, that's not it. We need to work on what God has given us to do. And if that work isn't necessarily something we're passionate about, at least it pays the bills and helps us make a living. Now, having said that, and I don't want to sound cynical, but let me tell you a little secret that I've learned over the past number of years myself. And that is that if you really want to serve God, you may need to take a job, do a job part-time or full-time that you don't really like doing. Maybe initially you didn't want to do this. Maybe you still wish that you could do something else. But if you do that work, sometimes if you do it to the glory of God and wanting to please Him, you'll find satisfactions in that work that you wouldn't in any other way. And that can be really surprising. To be somewhat specific in my own life, how this has worked out, I would love nothing more than to be able to full-time teach the Bible, to work on my church communications ministry. I love doing those things. I am truly passionate about them. However, at this present point in time, I don't make any kind of a living off of them. I I have to work on another job to not only support my family, but uh, to just even pay for the hosting bills and things like that for the ministries that I do online. And I initially really resented that. 
I just thought, you know, why, Lord, why is it that other people get to work on, on their passion, their ministry, their whatever full-time, and I don't? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, God has simply made it, that's that's the way it is now. But I found in the other work that I do, um, even though I, I didn't choose it and I don't always want to do it, but it's very satisfying, and I'm very thankful that God has given me work to do that pays the bills, and I do have enough um uh, time and energy to do uh, what I really want to do, my passion to teach the Bible and to share these things with you on the weekends and late at night and stuff like that. I can still do that. And so I'm, I'm very, very thankful. But we have to be careful. And we have to be careful that uh, we don't let reasons that sound good on popular media and that work out for movie stars and other people that have, are doing their, their passion or their dreams or whatever, that isn't where most of us live. And Proverbs just basically says, do your work with zeal and with um, diligence, and that's what is pleasing to the Lord. Moving along to another situation, somebody upsets or insults you and does something to make you angry. So what is the worldview? We hit back with anger, slander, verbal assaults. Oh my goodness, we all know that in the media and the political world today, it's just anger, 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 attack, attack, attack. And even um, we see this in, in children, and, and it can be so easy for this to happen in work where um, you know everybody's doing that, so we just get angry all the time. And we shouldn't. You know, Proverbs and much of the Bible just says, you know, don't do that. First of all, it's worth noting that nobody can make you angry. It is a learned habit. It is a learned response. Now, this is not to deny that perhaps something difficult has happened, but Proverbs majors on a different response. Here are some verses that apply to it. And um, as someone who has had and still has anger issues in their life. It's really easy for me to get angry about stuff. Here are some verses that I have had to think about a lot and still do. The first one, whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. If somebody makes me angry, I, you know, instead of just cutting them down and all that, hold my tongue. I may not know why they said something. They may not have even meant what they said. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Oh, I don't want to do that. But the proverb goes on and says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want my words to be wise. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Oh, I don't want to crush people's spirits with what I say. And when we react in anger, it's so easily just to destroy, to just kind of go on this search and destroy mission. We don't want to do that. Another proverb says, slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. Oh, I don't want to do that. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We hear this verse quoted a lot, and it's so true. When somebody says something, uh, what one pastor always uh, used to say is you can either bring 
gasoline or water to a situation? Are you going to put out the flames of anger and mistrust and resentment or whatever? Are you going to put them out with water or are you going to inflame the situation? We have a choice and Proverbs tells us that we need to be quiet, that we need to restrain ourselves. In fact, in in Proverbs 19.11, it says, A wise man restrains his anger and overlooks insults. This is to his credit. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Let me go back to this other verse for just a second before I go on, where it says, A wise man restrains his anger and overlooks insults. You see, one of the things that's really interesting in this Proverbs is it doesn't deny that an insult took place. You know, there's a lot of really nasty, rotten people out there. That might not sound very kind, but it's true. There are people who will insult you, some unintentionally, some very intentionally. But it says a wise person restrains their anger. This is to their credit. No matter what someone else does, you do not have to hit back. Just a few more verses. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlooks an insult. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And then this this next one, this is this has got some great application. Listen to this. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. This verse, I wish I would have really learned it when I was younger, that the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves. One of the things that I've I've seen it happen in other people, and I was the poster child for violating this verse through many years of my life, and I've, I still do this, but um, where it says the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves. Some of us, and I like to think that it's because I was an older sister, and older sisters grow up thinking that they rule the world. They've grown up telling younger siblings what to do, and you just take that attitude into life. And so I was always great at giving people advice. Advice, unsolicited advice. Oh, you know, you need to do this, or have you thought about that, or you need to do this. And it probably has taken me 50, 60 years to realize most people do not appreciate it. People go along just fine, um, unless it's something that's really hurting them or whatever, but they don't need your way of doing it. And I've I've watched other people, uh, particularly younger people, that uh, when they, they're sort of starting out in life and, and they think that, uh, you know, they've learned these different things and they want the whole world to know how smart they are and how they have better ways to do things. The world, I'm sorry, people, it doesn't care. So keep your knowledge to yourself unless you're asked or you're in a position to share. Maybe go into teaching or get a podcast. Here I am on the podcast. I can do it all I want. But um, the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves. But a fool's heart blurts out folly. And then finally, one of the great verses in Proverbs on our tongue and how to respond. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. What a beautiful way to describe our words, our response to anger or insults or things like that instead of destructive words and folly. Make our words like apples of gold. Another situation what do we do now? You're probably thinking after, and this is appropriate here, you know, oh, I've done that, oh, I've done that, oh, I didn't do that, whatever. But Proverbs also has great things to say for when we or others make mistakes. What the world does is we either try to justify ourselves or beat ourselves up. But Proverbs reminds us, and I just love 
this where it says the righteous fall seven times and rise again but the wicked stumble in times of calamity and it's important that little thing there where it says seven times whenever seven times is is mentioned or seven times 70 it means an infinite number it's kind of like in the new testament when peter said to jesus how many times should i forgive my brother seven times he thought he was being really magnanimous and wonderful and jesus said no 70 times 7. In other words, forgive your brother infinitely because that's how I forgive you. And you know what? You need to forgive yourself in the same way. That's really important that you do that. And the next verse is related, but... Um, well, anyway, let me let me just read it to you because it's also important on how we react in difficult times. It says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles lest the lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him in other words if you uh, if you have an enemy and something terrible happens to him don't gloat over it don't be glad it says you know that's very displeasing to the lord the lord disciplines his children and it is not your place to go nah, 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 look what happened to you i don't care how old we are how much adult we think we are people still do it and that's very very displeasing to the Lord and then finally a reminder on this same idea of what happens when we fall is I love that children's song God's not finished with me yet um, God's not finished with me yet God's not finished with me yet by his power I can change 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 God's not finished with me yet and the way Proverbs puts this and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible it says but the path of the righteous is like the first light of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day so be kind to yourself and forgive yourself as you would others here is a good summary verse if people do not in general follow proverbs and what what this says first i'll read it in the niv and then in the message translation it says a person's own folly leads to their ruin yet their heart rages against the lord and then in the message it says people ruin their lives by their own stupidity so why does God always get blamed? Isn't that great? I mean, don't we do that? We blame God when things go wrong. But if he's told us certain ways to live and we don't do it, we really shouldn't blame him. Of course, we always get back to the idea that we may not know the right way to live. That's why we need to spend time in God's word. Because there's always going to be two voices in our heads because he has given us a conscience we make a lot of jokes about the angel sitting on one shoulder and a devil on the other but there really are the two voices one is of self and satan one is of our creator and you see if we have strengthened that voice of our creator if we know god's word that voice will get stronger and stronger our creator tells us what we were made for what will truly make us happy satan says he wants us to be our own god he's always questioning remember in the garden of eden he said did god really say yes god did but satan wants you to ignore it Satan also said in the passage that describes him, he said, I will ascend, I will be like the Most High God. That's what he wants each of us to do, to put ourselves in the place of God. And God says, no, you're a created being. 
but you're one that I love. I loved you enough to have my son die for you. I've given you my word so that you will live for me. In our post-Christian, post-biblical world, there's always going to be all these voices competing and making noise and all this conflict. Now, the good news is that one day in heaven, we will not hear competing voices. That evil voice, that chattering in our heads will be silenced forever. Sometimes I think that's going to be the most wonderful thing in heaven. All those fears that keep you awake at night, the questions that plague you, the self-accusations, the regret, the self-condemnation, that will be silenced forever. But until then, we have Proverbs. We have the Word of God to guide us. Now remember when we started out this podcast, I talked about how one of the definitions of Proverbs is that it's a poem. And then that reminded me of Ephesians 3.10 where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. The idea that we're God's workmanship, that word workmanship in the Greek is the word poema. We're God's poem. We're his poetry. We're his message to the world. And we should be living examples of God's way of living. You see, Proverbs gives us a choice. We can ignore it, And instead of a poem, the story of our life might be a tawdry tale. As Shakespeare described one, a life told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Or our life can be God's poem reflecting his way of living to our world in a way that Proverbs describes as shining ever brighter until the full light of day. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson, and again, there will be all of the verse references in downloadable PDF format on www.bible805.com. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest. From loneliness to knowing you are loved. From turmoil to peace. From wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.